speaks the same text over and over, but different portions. Today we look at the last section. This is the portion in which Jesus Christ is officially described to us as we know him, the God of our salvation who has come in the flesh. John begins this way. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through Him. And without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light, that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, Yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And here is our portion today. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory. Glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And John bore witness about Him and cried out, This was He of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me. Because he was before me. For from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, and grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God. He who is at the Father's side has made him known. Last week, Uh, There was a a sermon illustration I used uh, regarding the purity of our hearts being sanctified by Christ like uh, snow, white snow that is uh, cleansed and bright. And then everyone uh, was complaining that we got a bunch of snow this week uh, and they shouldn't really be talking that way. Uh, We received some emails, some remarks to say uh, you would have to preach about having snow all of a sudden. Um, So today we're going to talk about how uh, bright it is like a warm sunshine. Uh, God's light in our life. Uh, We'll see how the week goes. But here we actually find uh, Jesus Christ being clothed in flesh for you and for me. And we're told particularly it's because of his goodness. Now it's not in the text so much, but it is. 
The main point that John's unfolding here about Jesus for us is that something that's so um, a banal statement that you would say, of course you would say this, and of course this is true, that God is very, very good. Very, very good. We say, yes, we know that. But to know that and to understand it or to appropriate it to your life is very different. He says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We have seen his glory, glory as the only son from the father who is, here's the phrase, full of grace and truth. Those three words, full of grace and truth. That is something that's never been seen before. That is the glory that John is saying he saw. That is the goodness of God that we say we know about, but in reality, by definition, it cannot be comprehended. It is full, the fullness of this grace and truth. It is, as these psalms and hymns go, an ocean that cannot be grasped, something that you cannot get your hand around. There's a fullness to God's goodness in Jesus Christ that is not comprehended. That's why he goes on to say, for from his fullness we receive grace upon grace. For the law, he says, was given through Moses, yet grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. For no one has ever seen God. He is incomprehensible. He is spirit and infinite and boundless. But in him, in the Son, he is at the Father's side. And he has made this Goodness, the goodness of God known, concretely, pointedly, decisively, historically, fleshly. A lot of the problems in our life, I believe, come from a misappropriation of God's goodness. You see, this is Christmas time. That is, it's the end of the year. You've concluded one more year of your life. Congratulations. You're one more year older, more mature, more wise. You have more pains. You've had more joys. Many of you had many sorrows. In the past year. You've added to your book. You've added to your story. Information and experiences. That you never had before. So when I say God is good. You cannot help. But hear that. In the backdrop of everything that has made you who you are to this moment today. And so therefore, when I say God is good, your soul says, get on to the point. You can't just tell me God is good. I know God's good, so what's the point? Because it's always relativized. Yes, he's good, 
but I've been through a divorce. And yes, he's good, but I lost the love of my life this year. So, yes, he's good. The problem of growing older is that we think we know things. And so if your younger self, if you could put him or her aside and sit him down in a chair and say, listen to me. I'm going to tell you a few things you need to know. Life is good. Life can be bad. You're going to go through this, and let me tell you what not to do. You're going to experience that day where that person says that thing to you, where the news comes across that so-and-so has left your presence, or you lost or fell out of a friendship that you'll never get back because of bitterness and unforgiveness. And so you say to your younger self, now we all know the gospel, younger self. God is good, and he's nice and kind, kinder than most, and he forgives us and tolerates us. Just try not to sin as much, because it's really going to mess your life up, and God might not like you. And he's going to bring a lot of hard things into your life. See, the problem of being so mature, of thinking we have it all figured out now, is that there's a patronizing, a smug, patronizing opinion in which you can say, oh, I'm older now. I've seen how the world really is. And I know how the songs really go. And I know that this is a really happy time of year. But the reality is I know what life is. And it's not like the movies. But you see how John introduces Jesus? And this stops all of us in our tracks. We are not now so old or wise, one more year of experience and seeing the remaining darkness within and the remaining darkness without in this world, that when we say, yes, the gospel is good, Jesus was born of a virgin in the baby in the manger to be a light of the world. But where's the light? Like, really, where's the light? Because obviously I see darkness remaining in myself and I see darkness remaining in this world. And then John says, well, don't think you know it all. This is he of whom I told you. That he comes before me. Yet he comes after me. This is he who I told you, who comes after me, but he ranks before me, for he was before me. That is, I'm not older than him. He's older than me. And he knows how the world really works. And I will tell you, he is full of grace and truth. He is full of goodness. Pure, unmitigated, unquantified, unqualified goodness. That we not come to this gospel with our preconceived notions of our worldly experiences and say, yes, the gospel is good and God kind of loves us, but life is terrible and hard and difficult and dark. Yes, but he is older than you. And he is good. So that it's not 
assume that we know what we don't know. For John says, the word became flesh. The flesh is our clothing. Everything in scripture that is human life is flesh. Adam and Eve come together and they become one flesh. Yes, physically, but really scripturally it means they have a whole life together. They live together. They dwell together. The word became flesh. He came down to live with us, to dwell with us. Everything that lives, all creatures that have breath in the flood are the ones who have flesh, all flesh, all life. Yet here we have this word becoming flesh. As we've seen through John's gospel, how he's introduced Jesus to us, this word is the uncreated, eternal God who is God and was with God and all things were made through him and nothing was made that has not been made through him. This is creation. Everything that has ever been, time and space, your five-year-old self, your six-year-old self, your 70-year-old self is in here, in this thing he made. That's why theologians speak of creation throughout the history of the church as the theater, a theater of God's glory. That it is though he set up a stage and made a whole auditorium which is called everything. Everything that has been made is a theater to his glory. That's why in Isaiah 6 when the angels see the glory of God they say, holy, 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 the whole earth is full of this God's glory. Everything is like a breaking open of the mysterious light of God manifest through the sun and through the stars and through the way bees pollinate to make honey and through the way ants dig down into the soil and through everything God has made, his wisdom and beauty and glory comes out. That is, the great lights are like a dome inside of this theater which we call life and creation. No one goes to the movies like they used to. People stream stuff and watch them on their uh, personal large screens in their basement probably. But there's a, a resurgence of people going to the movies for one reason. Because now they're making more and more of these IMAX movie theaters. Which is more realistic. Because it's a dome that you sit inside. And the whole movie plays around you and about you with surround sound. And that's the one thing people say, I don't have that in my house, so I guess I'll go to the movies to watch a theater that seems more real. But then when you open the scriptures and find that that very dome is what we live in. That he has set the stage in the heavens and everything that occurs within this creation is within the theater of God's glory. He brought the soil through the water and set the stage for his characters on his play. 
for his creatures to do his work, to walk and act according to his script. So, you may, and you're not crazy for thinking this, you may be under the impression that your life is somewhat dramatic. That it has ups and downs. That you might say to your younger self, oh, I've seen the good, you see. I know a few things. And I've ripped jeans. And I've experienced life. And I have stories, man. And there's good stuff in life. And there's bad stuff in life. And you think you can tell it all out. And you say, life's dramatic. Life's hard. Life's good and bad. It's a mystery. But the reality is, yes, by design, your life is a drama because this whole world is a theater of God's glory. Matthew 18.10, Jesus says, the angels watch. The angels attend to those little ones within the theater. 1 Corinthians 4.9, Paul says that his own life is a spectacle, a theater. The Greek word literally sounds like theater. Watched by men and angels alike. Proverbs 15.3 says, The eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch on the evil and the good. Colossians says that his eyes travel the earth to and fro. Everything within the dome. At Christmas time, it's usual that if you were to see a play, it could be around this time of year. I know some of you have been to uh, the Sights and Sounds in Lancaster. It's Sights and Sounds. Things you see, things you hear. Sounds very fleshly, very real. When you go to these plays, the show itself is awesome, but there's also something about the darkness of it all, the ambiance, people say, right? There's a little bit of light in the aisles so you don't trip over yourself, but it's mostly dark uh, by and large. And before the show starts, or in between the scenes, what really is interesting is the way the stage crew does what they do, because no one knows them, no one sees them. The whole point is for them to be discreet. They wear their black clothes and they're behind some type of curtain or a dark veil in a dimly lit stage theater. And before the scene comes, you can still see what they're doing. Like, you can squint. And I've always enjoyed that in, in plays when you're watching and you're seeing... Look how quickly they move and they're getting everything set up. And where's that coming from? And this guy over here, I didn't even know he's there. It's very dark. It's very mysterious. That's behind the stage. The mysterious motions uh, that come before the play is set in motion itself. Do you see, John has pulled back the curtain and shown you behind the scenes. The curtain of revelation. That in that small side of the stage, there sits a man. His name is Logos Asarkos. The eternal God. That is, before the stage was made, before anything was said, 
Before time and space and all creation and everything that could be, there was him sitting in his director's chair, in his throne. And he is the director. He is the playwright. He has the script in his hand. He is the word. The intelligence of everything that will happen in this play. The, the one who wrote the characters, wrote their names, wrote their places, locations, their backstories, their dramas, their plot, the plan, the development, the purpose, the direction. These lights come when he commands, let there be light. The stage lumens, the characters emerge. And this is life. This is us. And for this reason, this gospel being so profound that John himself is telling you the inside story, that there was a portion in the play in which the director himself entered the stage. That he became flesh. Why? For the glory of his goodness. There is something in this whole drama of creation that has not been seen before, that had to be seen. It was written for his purposes, for the glory of his goodness, that he would enter into the show that is, part the curtains through the womb of a woman and come onto this stage in full display in a stable that had no name, by a family that had no name, witnessed by shepherds that had no name. And John said, I have seen his glory. But in the same breath say that he came to his own and his own received him not. For he looked just like another man in the play. For the glory of this gospel is that in all creation and everywhere you could see the beautiful intricacies of God, there is a unique goodness in Jesus Christ. A goodness that is grace and truth. No one has ever played that part, ever. If you want to know God's power, you look to the volcanoes. If you want to know God's wisdom, you look to DNA. If you want to know grace and truth, you will never look to a man. You will never look to us who were made in his image. You will never look to any other character on the play to find something that is called good. As the psalmist in Psalm 4 says, Oh Lord, show us any good. Is there any good for you to see, have a see in this world? And the psalmist responds, O Lord, let the light of your face shine upon us. That is, there is a glory and a goodness that has only come through Jesus Christ, whom John has said is full of grace and truth. He's the only son from the Father, full of grace and truth. That is, faithfulness, undeserved favor, grace and truth. The faithfulness that doesn't move. The love that doesn't go anywhere. 
See, and that is the glory of the gospel for us. For by this aspect, God's glory is shown. Because we don't really know everything. When we say the world is complicated, life is a little good and a little bad, that God is nicer than most, that he will forgive you. This gospel is a pretty good deal. If he forgives you, he, and you kind of keep yourself clean, your life can be pretty good. But, but this, this fullness of God's grace, this fullness of God's glory, that the director would so fashion himself to come down and manifest his grace into the world. That is unseen. This is what Paul says in Corinthians, that the angels long to stoop over and bend in to look at this thing, that the logos took on flesh, that there is a mercy and a goodness given to men that is not found in any other domain. All the friendships you've lost because of bitterness and unforgiveness. All the families that are riddled particularly with hardship. Marriages that cannot get by. There is no love. There is no trust. And he comes in and says, I am grace, undeserved favor, committed love, and truth, faithfulness. A type of love that cannot go anywhere. Every one of our dramas has dropped the ball on the very principle of God's glory that he wanted to see most. Jesus only transfigured himself in glorious light one time. But John is saying here, we have found something different. We have found a glory of God that is perfect goodness that it was for you all of your sins all of your failings all of your corruption everything that you have brought to this drama everything you were made for set in a beautiful world made by his image with the word of God upon your mind, a conscience written in, in him we see light. He is the light that lights all the world. We have a conscience and a goodness and predisposed to everything that should be right. And we have failed. We have hated. We've been bitter, unforgiving, judgmental, adulterous fornicators. Nothing that has ever been committed. He has not seen. And as the play goes... As he foreshadowed himself, particularly with Moses, he wrote himself into the play. The word became flesh. For Moses came to him and said, in Exodus 33, the director prophesied, Please show me your glory. Please show me your glory. And the Lord responded, I will make my goodness pass before you. And I will proclaim my name, the Lord. You see what he said? Lord, I want to see your glory. I'm in this beautiful world and everything you made glorifies you. But I want to see your glory. I want to see you. And God responds and says, then I will show you my goodness. 
There's a particular type of goodness of God that you'll never find in the stars. But you'll only find it in the Word made flesh. In the next chapter, the Lord shows his glory to Moses, but not his face. He said, I'll walk past you, and I will cover you with my hand, a language of embodiment, a foreshadow. You won't see my face, a language of embodiment, foreshadow. You only see my back. How does God have a back? Language of embodiment. And so he walks by and does what? Proclaims his name. Which is what? In Exodus 34. The Lord, the Lord, merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in, here it is, steadfast Love, faithfulness. Those are the same terms that John uses. Grace and truth. For you. That when you think that you know this world and you think you know your God, He is more gracious than us. And his promises cannot fail. So when he says, I am good, you have only begun to see the extent of his goodness for all creation. Ponder, when you have all the glories of this world, But if your body could glow with the glory of God down to your fingertips, it would have to be in grace and truth that we would be a people that have a unique love that is alien, that is glorious, that is holy. A unique fidelity to one another as a church, to our marriages and our children and our family and our community. The world is starving for this. There is no structure in the world that has not been corrupted. Even the turmoil in the the papal church, talking about blessing same-sex marriage, same-sex couples, it says. There is a grace And faithfulness. That is a glory that only Jesus Christ has shown. But he's called us to love that way. To be faithful that way. To be on our knees before the Lord that way. To live in this grace. To live in this faithfulness. And understand, it is the drama of our life. Every 
temptation that comes to you is by design. Corinthians says, no temptation will come to you that is beyond you. Whenever you are tempted, he will always provide a way out. There is always a second part to the story. There is always an alternate chapter you could read. There is always a different place you could go in which you do not sin. You glorify God. You are faithful to those around you. You extend super abundant grace and love to all those around you. And in a certain sense, the world cares not, but the angels look in and you have glorified God in a way that has nothing to do with visible light or particularly miraculous power. But it is odd, it is strange that men corrupted as we are should love as Christ loved us. And that is the glory. That is the drama. Everything in your life is to be a test so that you would demonstrate this type of drama. To be pulling your resources from Jesus Christ who is the fullness if you don't have this kind of grace, if you don't have this kind of fidelity, it's okay. The Word became flesh. He has a fullness as eternal God to give you this. To love as He loved. In His name. For this is the glory He has for us. Dear Father God, I pray, Father, You would give us this grace. Lord, we understand that even angels learn long to look into these things. Lord, we ask that you would please pour out your Spirit upon us. That we would be full of the fullness of God. That we would be united to you in truth and love. Father, we thank you. As we approach this table, we have to pray that you have been faithful in our faithlessness. In every place that we failed, you have provided. Lord, you have grace that we do not know. We all have the limit of our love. We all have the limit of how much we could tolerate from so-and-so, or this person, or that. But Lord, we must not think we are older than you. We must not think we have seen it all. You are the fullness of grace and truth. So Lord, as we take this bread and cup, it is our earnest prayer that you would fill us. In Jesus' name, amen.